We have been telling stories as human beings for years and years. And ever since we first huddled together in the cave, there was no television. There was nothing else going on except stories about our hunting exploits, etc. I'm David Otey, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. From executives to beauty pageant contestants, Tim Durkin has a remarkable track record when it comes to coaching successful speakers. When it comes right down to the basics, do you know where to put your hands? Do you know how to emphasize your key points? The conversation I had with speaker and coach Tim Durkin was full of tips you can use right away. Let's listen in. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Ode, and as you know, we have conversations as well as content on this program, conversations about telling the story of your work. We have conversations with scientists, engineers, and professional communicators, and today I am so looking forward to this conversation with Tim Durkin, who was introduced to me by another speaker that we both know. And Tim has done some fascinating things as a speaker and speaking coach, and he's going to share some tips with you that are going to help you set your presentations apart from those around you, whether we call them your competition or just the noise. You'll be set apart if you follow what Tim has to say. So, Tim, I'd like you to introduce yourself and just sort of take it from there. Well, thank you very much, David. And I have been looking forward to being on your show for several weeks now. And uh, so I'll get right back into my background. I, I just like to say I can't say much about my past, but my future is spotless and probably should leave it at that. But uh, <laughs> um, what, what I've been doing for the last 20 plus years is helping executives deal with working in a VUCA environment, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And I've also been helping them develop the principles of executive presence, especially when they are speaking, because it's an absolutely key talent that every executive needs to develop, or else people aren't going to be listening to them in, the, in their leadership capacity. Um, I also am a mental management systems coach. I'm one of three in the United States. Um, I have I've been certified in that for about five years now. And I help people achieve elite levels of performance um, in whatever field that they're practicing uh, in, uh, from sports to, uh, to actually beauty pageantry, uh, believe it or not. And, uh, and then outside of that, uh, I'm a speaker and an author and a certified barbecue judge. And most certified people, barbecue judge. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Most people don't want to talk about the book or talk about what I just said. They go, how do you become a certified barbecue judge? Or where's the best barbecue in whatever particular area they're in? So uh, well, that's we'll have to have that around. side conversation after we stop the recording. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, how did you get into doing these these fascinating things? I mean, you, you, if you're going to go into an executive say, and say, I'm here to help you with your executive professional presence, 
you've got to have some way of establishing your credibility to do that, right? Yes. Typically, I start by um, the path that I usually took was keynoting um, or training. Training or keynoting came first. And, and if I did training, they'd ask me, could you do a keynote on leadership? And from then, I would develop a relationship. And I was lucky in that people asked me, is there anything else that you do that might be of interest? And I was asked by um, a couple of very large companies, uh, professional services firms, etc., if I could help their senior people or their people who would become senior people, as in partners, could I help them develop a, an executive presence? Because while they had almost all of the checklist done for becoming a partner, uh, they didn't. The the other partners didn't feel like they had that presence. So. I started developing programs in that. Um, again, my for, my good fortune is that uh, I'm able to establish a relationship with a company once I start working with them. And uh, one thing leads to another. I've had two very good mentors, uh, personally, personal coaches. One is a guy named Mike Vance. Uh, People probably haven't heard of Mike Vance, but they have heard of the guy who was his mentor, uh, who's Walt Disney. Um, Mike Vance actually uh, created Disney University and a lot of other programs for the Disney organization. He was Walt's right-hand man. Uh, I met him once in Dallas. We established a, a long-term friendship. And then the other person was Stephen Covey, who wrote the book, The Seven Habits of mm -hmm. Highly Effective People. Um, Stephen and I got to, to know each other, and we traded uh, some ideas uh, about abundance, et cetera. And um, we were friends until, uh, unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. So, right, he did, yeah, didn't he? I've had two very good mentors. So... One of the things I'll often ask people, particularly if they've made the transition from doing technical work to doing leadership, management, or other areas that are heavy on the soft skills, is I'll often ask people, what do you wish you had known much sooner? Uh, that's, a, that's a very easy question for me to answer. I wish I had known what I'm going to share today. I wish I had known the set-apart skills, if you will. I, I'd call them the, the set-apart skills for making presentations because I have seen countless executives, male and female, over the years, it's been a 40-plus year business career, who have stumbled when they have the opportunity to develop a presence and a leadership style um, because they couldn't master some of the set-apart skills of, uh, of public speaking. So I wish I had uh, known that. Known that sooner. Okay, so mm -hmm. is that what you're going to share with us now, the set-apart skills? Yeah, I, I would say I've got a couple of ideas that I would share. Now, I'm pretty sure your audience, as you mentioned, being sophisticated as they are, they might have heard a couple of these already. But I'd like to just go through a couple of techniques that um, once people see them, they will get the impression that, number one, this person really knows what she's talking about or he's talking about. And number two, they will be uh, much more likely to listen 
and number three, much more likely to do what the speaker suggests that they do. Yes, uh, that's because so a lot important. of people can do things. The key is to find people who will do things or inspire them to do things. So, um, would you like me to begin? I would love for you to. I'm, okay, I'm dying to hear these. Okay, so I, by the way, I have collected these ideas over the years from a lot of great speaking coaches. I still um, study 21 days a year uh, in, in terms of my speaking profession and my training profession. I still go to school uh, at least three weeks a year. Hmm. Um, but so, so uh, number one, if you are talking on your feet, and you're in front of an audience, when you walk out, say nothing, but stand there in the position, you know, feet shoulder width apart, hands down at your side, and look at three people and silently say to yourself, hello, how are you? Now don't say it out loud, but you just go maybe to the left side, maybe to the right side, maybe to the center. So it doesn't matter which direction you go, but go to three different individuals, smile, and you don't have to nod your head, you don't have to do anything, but it's that pause mm -hmm. uh, of about five seconds that indicates to the, the audience that you're in charge, right. that you are not nervous, that you are not just going to blast out words, which a lot of people do when they're inexperienced, when they're nervous. This says, I've got control of this situation. I, the speaker. So that's, that's number one. Always do that. Number two, I'm sure your audience has heard this before, but start strong, finish stronger. Mm, now, well the, reason, the reason that you do that is because there's a law of primacy and there's a law of recency. People remember what they heard first, and pe the primacy, and people remember what they heard last, which was most recent. So with regard to the, one of the best ways I think a person could do that is to develop what we call a loop. So you could start something, for example, I used to say, um, I used to talk about the first landing on the moon, and I won't go through the whole thing, but I, I would say, um, and Jim Lovell said, we just decided to go. With that five-word uh, five declarative sentence, Jim Lovell summed up every great achievement, every great accomplishment, every great adventure, notice the three A's, alliteration, mm -hmm that mankind or humankind has ever done. So if you wanna move from mass mediocrity to mastery, from ordinary to extraordinary, if you wanna move from promise to performance, I hope you listen to what I have to say today. That's the recency. And by the way, when you say something like that, it gets real quiet. And then I will go through my talk. And then at the end, I will say, so, if after you've heard what you heard today and you have decided that you want to move from promise to performance, from ordinary to extraordinary, then what you need to do is, and then I go through the five points or the four points, whatever I do. So it's a loop. 
And I really like loops because they'll catch on to it right away. Another thing is that it makes you look incredibly professional uh, and they know that you've prepared. So uh, that would be one tip is start strong, finish strong. And uh, oh, uh, I know you've heard this before, but never, ever, ever, ever start your talk with Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm so honored to be here and all of that. Oh, Don't yeah. do what I did at the beginning of this podcast. All right. <laughs> what you want to do is you want to go right into um, a story, a factoid, uh, like I use Jim Lovell, the mm -hmm. landing on the moon, um, a, a rhetorical question, some kind of technique. Now, you know our friend Patricia Fripp. Yes. I will just give you an example of what Patricia Fripp did. Um, she was going to speak to a large group of religious leaders who hired her to help them give better sermons at their churches. And they had done some background work on her and they couldn't find out which church she belongs to, et cetera, et cetera. But they knew she wasn't part of this particular uh, religion. And there was a lot of skepticism. Patricia's introduced and she walks out and she says this, as you all know, the Bible says 465 times that it shall come to pass, but the Bible never once says that it shall come to stay. I'm here today to help you say the words that will stay with your congregation. And at that particular moment, she had everybody's rapt attention. Of and they ended up did. giving her a, a standing ovation. But that's how you start. You walk out on the stage, you look at three people, or you walk out to wherever you're supposed to speak. It probably isn't a stage. It might be a conference room. And then you you look at the three people and then you start to speak. And it, it's so fun because when you look at the people, by the way, you'll see them shift or you'll see them avert their eyes. That means you've got them. They, they have their your undivided attention. Now, you have probably heard that storytelling, and, and I, I also teach at Southern Methodist University Cox School of Business, um, in executive education. And uh, one of the things that we talk about is it's very important to develop strong narrative skills. Well, strong narrative skills is PhD talk for good storytelling. Good storytelling. I yeah. thought that's where you were going with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I want to make sure that people understand that a story is compelling. We have been telling stories as human beings for years and years. And ever since we first huddled together in the cave, there was no television. There was nothing else going on except stories about our hunting exploits, etc. Well, storytelling can be mastered quite easily by you know watching people like that uh, dave lieber he's got an smu tedx broadcast um 17 minutes he'll show you how to tell a great story um he's phenomenal about that but whether you use his technique or another technique i want you to 
I want everybody here to remember the word SPA. S-P-A. Story, tell your story, but make sure that your story has a point. And that point is A, applicable or has application to the audience. So it's always story, point, application. Get a good story, talk about dialogue in full, talk about status details, mention the little things that happened in the story, make sure that it has a point. You're not just telling a story because you heard this great story. And then make sure that that point has application to the audience. And um, that's how you'll get them to remember. All right. Um, Here is a set apart skill that very few people know about. I have been using for, I don't know how many years, probably 15 years. And I learned it from a gentleman by the name of Michael Grinder. Michael Grinder is the brother of John Grinder who was one of the co-inventors of neuro-linguistic programming. And Michael himself understood a lot about persuasion techniques and how to get people to listen to you. He taught me this technique. And if, you know, I hope people remember everything we talk about today, but this is the one technique that is going to really impress people. And it is simply stated, don't walk your talk. Don't walk your talk, which means this. If I were to stand up and I was now going to make a big point, I would say the number one thing that every speaker needs to remember is, and then I'll start walking to make uh, your content relevant to the audience. All right. Now, if I'm doing that while I'm talking, they'll get it. But here's how to make sure they get it like a tsunami. I like to tell you that the number one skill that every speaker, no matter the occasion, needs to remember is pause, take two steps or three steps forward, make sure the content is is relatable to the audience. So you pause, you take two steps, and then deliver the line. But not as you're walking. But not as you're walking. And you can try this. Um, All of your listeners can try this. I mean, I wish I had a big soundstage here. But uh, I, I could just show you that if I deliver that, what I call the money line, if I deliver the money line while I'm talking, it's not nearly as effective if I deliver the money line when I pause, take two steps, and then deliver it. Um, and, and, and so uh, don't walk the talk. When you're delivering the key point, stop, take two steps, deliver it, and let it go. All right. Um, one other point, people don't know what to do with their hands. They don't know whether to, you know, just keep them out of your pocket, obviously. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and, and be careful where you place them. Don't fig leaf. Don't, uh, you know, Prince Charles behind your back or anything like that. One of the best things to remember is that it's going to be very comfortable for you and very natural looking for the audience if you would keep your hands this, part, uh, this far away 
so that you, as if you were holding a basketball. If you're on stage, okay. yeah, you, you would hold them just like this and you could make your point and then they would naturally fall and then you would do that. Now, an exception to this rule is if you're at a conference table or in a conference room, you don't want, this is a little bit large for the conference room. So you hold not a basketball, you hold a softball. Really? This, yeah, okay, this let me is underscore the, that. So if you're on stage, yep. you want to, Raise your hands as if you're holding a basketball. Yep. But if you're in a more intimate setting, that's too big a gesture. Does that come across as threatening? Well, it might, but it it's um, it it kind of gets people a little bit nervous. If, if you know where are those hands going to go next, I see. So okay. if you just say, "Look, this is what I think we need to do," and you've got you're at a conference table softball. and you've got a softball. Um, so that's a, a really big, uh, I think that's a really big idea. That's a great idea. I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's just based on a lot of experience and a lot of research. <laughs> um, okay. One of the things that m most people, I would say almost the majority of people forget when they're speaking in front of a group is they basically would like to get the presentation over and to sit back down. What I suggest is that you, when you really want to make a point, you absolutely remember that it's okay if you pause, but be aware that you can overdo the pause. Right? <laughs> Thank you, uh, William Shatner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and what what was so interesting about this is that I once was watching PBS and I saw the great maestro Arthur Rubinstein interviewed, um, who was a um, I think the new, I don't know New York Philharmonic conductor. And the interviewer said, um, Maestro, when you conduct the Philharmonic in Handel's Messiah, and when Leonard Bernstein conducts a symphony in Handel's Messiah, and Bert Bacharach and Pops Fiedler, it all sounds different. Yet, it's the same notes. And Rubenstein, I believe in his 90s at the time, he kind of sat bolt upright and he said something I'll never forget. He goes, the notes, the notes, any fool can play the notes. The space between the notes, ah, and he tapped his heart. That is where art resides, the space between the notes. And if you think about it, the great speakers who have captured our attention have space between the notes. They effectively use the pause, and there is a little bit of a melody, if that's the correct word. There's a little bit of movement to their words, like Dr. Martin Luther King by Jr. by far was the best, mm -hmm. but John F. Kennedy said it too. It got a little melodic. We choose to put a man on the moon by the end of this decade. We choose to put a man on the moon by the end of this decade, not because it will be easy, but because it will be difficult and it will require the full measure of our skills and abilities as a nation. 
lots and lots of melodious uh, uh, talk there. and attention to the rhythm I yeah that, rhythm. That's, that's a big part of the melody that attention yeah, to the yeah. rhythm. i and, know the speakers here are so so conscious of their rhythms yeah yeah, yeah. and, and I, I think that's uh uh, that's a pretty good idea. And my last, uh, uh, oh, um, and by the way, um, if you're ever in front of an audience, I'm speaking to your uh, esteemed listeners now, if you're ever in the audience, you can tell a professional from an amateur by the way they handle time. I'm not talking about how long they talk. I'm talking about how they talk about time. For example, an amateur will do time relative to them. All right. They will say, um, we're going to do this in January. We're going to do this in June and so on. And it's backwards to the audience. And for those who are listening to the podcast version of this, what mm-hmm. you would have been seeing on the screen just then is moving backwards from the audience's standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're telling them to go forward in time or what's going to happen forward in time. But at your your uh, visual cues show going backwards in time. So the key point here is to be conscious of talking about time or showing time correctly to the audience. Now with Zoom, it's, as you know, with mirror image, it's a a little bit tricky. It does get tricky. Uh, It it does get tricky. So you probably want to have somebody before you talk say, which way is my hand going? Um, (laughs) Because you you want to make sure, and you can tell an amateur from a professional, which is that just the way they handle time. Yeah. So yeah. How do you draw um, that timeline on the stage or walk the timeline if you're using movement to do that? Yeah, right. yeah. And then my final thing is uh, my final thing. My final idea. Uh, yeah, would you be, heard Fripp's voice just yeah, then. Didn't oh, yeah, boy. We don't use you. the word thing. By the way, now that we're talking about Fripp, she just wrote a book on and her first one. She put it on Amazon this week. It's $3.99. And it is, how's your presentation coming? So uh, for our good friend, Fripp, I think that if anybody was going to make a super wise investment in their presentation uh, skill set, that book for $3.99 would probably be the best $4 they've ever spent in their entire life. I I did not know about that. I'm so glad you told me how to rush out and buy it. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, I I just learned something new from her. Oh, I love every every time. Yes. So I would say that develop a money line. And what I mean by a money line is something that you can repeat in your talks that people will remember. Like one of my money lines, it, it was after my book, is moving from promise to performance. A lot of people have promise. How do you turn it into performance? A lot of people can do things. How do you make sure they will do things? Um, how do you move from ordinary to extraordinary? So, so my money line was moving from promise to performance. And everybody's got a money line out there. I would just say, oh, yeah, he's that promise to performance guy. Right. Be, be known by what you say. As a matter of fact, I've had people look me up based on promise to performance who couldn't remember my name. I'm not sure that's a good thing, David. But, <laughs> but they found you. That's a yeah, good thing. Yeah, they did find me. <laughs> so, you know, that's uh, that's a lot of information that we've just covered. Um, I want people to know that they can contact me 
uh, absolutely free. If they want to send me an email, I've, it's very easy. It's Tim at TimDurkin.com. Please make sure you put in the subject line podcast because I have had that email for a long time and I get a thousand emails a day and 900 of them are spam. Right. Okay. So if you put podcast in there, I will absolutely respond to you as quickly as I can. You want some hints on uh, you got a presentation coming up. Um, I would be happy to help you uh, based on you turning and tuning in to this podcast of Davis. Well, thank you so much, Tim. This has been uh, a lot to absorb. Um, I, I loved the the promise to performance line that I did hear you use more than once, mm -hmm. and some other alliterative lines that you used, um, ordinary to extraordinary, which isn't alliterative, but I guess it does have a well, rhythm to it. I like well, that. yeah, the, yeah. the uh, adventure accomplishment achievement. Adventure uh, accomplishment achievement. Yes, you, yeah, you you know the importance of using language well. And yeah. that's one of the takeaways that I think that uh, my audience can, can certainly appreciate, is using, using language well. Um, and you've told us how we can follow up with you? Yep. And is there a, a, a closing thought that you want to briefly leave us with? Well, you know, I train a lot of people uh, to make better presentations or to make presentations at all. And after I do that, I, I literally confess to them that it wasn't about teaching them how to make better presentations as much as it was uncovering something inside of them, a level of courage that they probably didn't know they had because so many people are absolutely terrified of speaking, the public speaking or making presentations and I just say, feel the fear and do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a money line for you. Yeah, feel the feel fear, the fear and do it anyway. Right. But it is literally about finding the courage inside and then projecting the confidence. You don't have to be confident. You just have to act confident. Mm. And the real confidence will come about. And the real so I hope it's been helpful, David. <clears throat> I sure have enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it too, Tim. Thank you so much. I'm so glad we were able to finally get our schedules in, in sync and have yeah. this conversation because you have offered uh, so much really valuable content to the listeners and viewers of this program. I thank you for being here. Thank you. I've been having this conversation with Tim Durkin, and this is David Odie. And if you want to follow up with me, you can go to storyandscience.com. That will take you to the home page of this program, and you can find my contact information there or find that button that says schedule a conversation and get on my calendar, and we'll have a discovery call about anything you may wish to follow up on from this program. And as always, thank you for being part of the Story and Science community. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening.